1: So, Welcome to the Brave Bold Brilliant Podcast. I am absolutely delighted today. I've got an amazing guest with me. She is someone who has been very senior in the world of dentistry and has pivoted and has moved into the world of property in a big, big way. And not only that, but she is also teaching thousands of other people how to be successful in property themselves. So I'd like to welcome the amazing Anne Hulton.
0: Oh, uh, Jeanette, hi. Thanks for that great introduction. Hi, everybody. Jeanette's amazing podcast.
1: <laughs> oh, and honestly, I can't tell you how grateful I am for you doing the interview because I just know that you've got, your story is really inspiring and there's so much in it that's going to be really interesting for, for all the listeners. So thank you so much for, for making the time. I know you're a very busy lady. Um, so maybe we could just kick off as with you just sort of, for those of that don't know you very well, Anne, or that God knows where they've been if they haven't heard of you. Um, just your sort of story, kind of where you started, where you are now and any sort of key things along the way that you think is worth pulling out. would be great if you don't mind. Okay, I'll start talking. You interrupt me as <laughs> you yeah.
0: uh-huh. So um, I started property in 2001 and at that time I was a dentist married to a GP and we had two kids. I think they were nine and 11 at the time. And we were effectively working really hard. We'd spent years and years getting to a stage in our career where we were successful in monetary terms, but we had very little time freedom and what happened was I had no idea whatsoever about property investing. I'm not the sort of person who I'm, I'm very lazy and I don't read newspapers. I try to avoid watching the news because I find that it poisons me. It brings me negativity. So I kind of shut myself off. And back in 2001, there wasn't a whole load of social media. So kind of property or entrepreneurship had completely passed me by. And then my friends, Miles and Joe came for Sunday lunch one day. And Joseph physiotherapist, and Miles is a GP. In fact, they still are to this day, and that's the irony of it all. When I tell the story, if you haven't heard it before, you'll think, wow, are they still doing this? So they came for Sunday lunch, and they announced, um, en passant almost, that they'd bought this little house near the station in Derby. And I was really nonplussed by this. I said, well, why have you done that? You've got this fantastic, huge, you know, four bedroom, beautiful detached house in one of the leafy, you know, expensive suburbs in Darry in, in the correct school catchment area. What are you doing buying a small terraced house across the road from the station? And they said, they gave me my whole property education, you it was, you could have written on the back of a fag packet or a, you know, an envelope. It was, well, we, we're buying a little house on a 25 year repayment mortgage because we want all the debt to be paid off in 25 years time. And we're gonna put a tenant in it and the tenant is gonna pay more rents than the mortgage. So it's a simple mass, you know, after 25 years' time, the tenants will have bought us a house, we'll have a free house. And for me, it was like a 1000 watt LED had gone off in my head because, you know, you, you think of yourself, I've got a couple of degrees, you know, I'm, I, I'm traditionally educated, but I wasn't financially savvy at all. And it's just, I just thought well, that's amazing, and they said, well, it is, you should do it. So I did. Now, because I come from quite an impoverished background, for want of be a better word, from a, I come from a, quite a deprived area of East London. When I was growing up, my, my parents, my sister, my nan, and myself, and a series of pets all lived in this small mid-terrace property, and we didn't own it. So my dream growing up had been to have my own home outright, mortgage-free. And many people listening to the podcast, you know, Englishman's home is his castle. We had that kind of dream of home ownership. So I got together with the lovely Steve uh, who's very fond of telling me that the reason I'm – and other people may resonate with this. The reason I think I'm vaguely entrepreneurial is because I come from a place of scarcity, Mm -hmm. not a place of comfort. And there is a kind of learning in that from training other people. I found that the people who are basically skint or in debt or who need to make a change are far more likely to be successful in life than somebody who is comfortable. Mm-hmm. So Steve's fond of telling me he's middle class because his dad was a headmaster and his mum was a math teacher and I'm working class because my mum didn't work. My dad was a lathe turner at the Woolwich Arsenal. So, you know, I, I wanted the security of having our own home, the mortgage paid off. So, we've done that. So, when Miles and Jake have a Sunday actually announced their property strategy, I had an unencumbered property, not a ni- nice one as I live in now, but I had an unencumbered property. So, um, I simply ran my financial advisor on the Monday. My lunch break from dentistry and said, Daniel, can I refinance our house? Take some money and buy some houses with it. And that's how we got started. So fast and easy way to get started in property. And I'm, I can't give people financial advice. I'm not a financial advisor, but the way we did it, if you want to copy what we did, so I took equity out of our own home and used that as a seed capital to, to buy properties with it. I made mistakes along the way though, because my, Steve was sort of persuaded stroke strong arms with a you know an arm up his back <laughs> to let me take the money out of the house as long as I just put it straight back into other property with no gearing. So he said you can buy houses but you can't have mortgages because mortgages are scary. What interest rates go up? You know why like, property prices crash, you know we can't do this. You can buy for cash. So bought five little one and two bedroom houses in and around Derby for cash and then I like wasted too- I waited a very long time for them to go up in value. And when they went up in value, I put mortgages on them and our portfolio built from there. So now I train people, this is not absolutely not the way to do it. The way to do it is to leverage either other people's money by borrowing from other people, you know, give them a fantastic rate of return because what are people earning in the bank at the moment? Square root of nothing. I think my current account, because I've got some cash waiting for opportunities, or like a bit of cash waiting for opportunities, is I think earning 0.005% per annum. So an inflation running at whatever is 2 3%, whatever you believe, you know, it's physically losing money every month. So it's, I think it's vitally important that we have a duty as investors, as property people, to help other people. So you can help other people by giving them a fantastic rate of return on their savings and also securing it against an asset, which is pretty rock solid. The, the phrase, safe as houses, doesn't you know, uh, come from nothing. So, yeah, so... I now advise other people to take their money and leverage it out. Use the bank's going to give you 75% of the uh, value of the property and you can get the 25% from somewhere else, then you're going to benefit from all the capital growth. So once I discovered the buy, refurbish, refinance strategy, which is a cornerstone of what I now do, there was really no looking back. But I didn't discover that until 2014. So I spent 13 years in the wilderness doing property all on my own. Steve who doesn't get it. That's my husband. Doesn't get it. Isn't interested in it. Doesn't know why we would do it. It's quite kind of... uh, a rock around your leg, if you like, if you want to move forward. And there will be people listening this is the podcast who you know their life partner their, their, their other friends and family are acting in the same way so when I came along to Progressive Property I'm now one of the trainers at Progressive Property and found a peer group of like-minded supportive people and I was properly trained and properly mentored and I knew what to do my whole business just accelerated now interesting just to hop back to Rob uh, Miles and Joe who were the people who gave me the original idea they've actually bought property but they've got If anybody can guess, I'll tell them they've actually got four houses. They stopped at four, and this is another key point. Just because you might understand the strategy or or something, life can get in the way. So they stopped at four. They were busy. They've got four kids. They continue to be doctors. They continue to be physiotherapists. They continue to work, and they saw property very much as a hobby. That's something they did along the side. So, unless they understand it intellectually and got me into it, they stopped. So I think one of the things that makes an entrepreneur is you always want to reinvent yourself. You're always hungry. You're always looking for the next thing. You're always moving on to pastures new. There's no moss grows around your stone. You're constantly reinventing yourself and moving forward. But not everybody does that. Even somebody can understand intellectually all aspects of a different type of business. But they stop. Why does somebody stop at just owning, I don't know, one shoe shop? Why don't they build a chain of shoe shops? Why do they stop at one restaurant? Why don't they have a chain of restaurants? Because our human nature sometimes is think enough is enough, or they're not prepared to put a slightly bit of extra effort, or they're not prepared to take a bit more of a risk so they've got four properties and i'm willing to bet i haven't asked them this but i'm willing to bet that the reason they've got four properties is because they've fought four kids and in their mind they're going to give each child a property you know my kids would be appalled if i was only going to give them four properties each you know they want they want a stable property And why would you stop if it's something that works just keep doing it and reinventing yourself because it's so much fun i'm at a certain stage in life now because i'm 60 this year, where I'm thinking I could I could retire and I could take up knitting, but I would just stagnate. It would it would be just awful. You've got to keep moving forwards in life, and you've got to keep having fun and raising new challenges. Otherwise, you're just going to be stuck in that horrible rut.
1: Yeah. Surprise, yeah. Want... <laughs> yeah hey I mean listen this is gold for anyone listening, this is absolute gold because you know there's so much in what you're saying and i mean and we'll we'll kind of go from here because you know for me, you're a very you know confident kind of personality, you're out there, you ooze enthusiasm and you know and and just being i mean i know because i've benefited from your from you teaching us what to do in property and that's where we first met um you know so you've had a massive impact on our life but one of the things that really sticks out for me from what you were saying with with your stories on that, that part of it was this idea of kind of being brave really and why is it that some people seem to be able to find the courage to push on to that next level or to do something new or be more creative um, and and yet other people seem to sort of let those doubts and insecurities kind of stop them before they really get going. Um, so I'm just sort of really interested in where do you think that sort of bravery in you and that courage to, to keep going or to, to do something new um, has come from? I think it's because I need approval from
0: people. So this this count goes for me. This is an answer for me and not necessarily an answer for everybody because I'm hoping that a lot of people listening in will be significantly more confident than I am in their own self. So I'm a bit of the world's uh, worst girly swat and I crave approval from people who are are my mentors or people I look up to or even people that I don't like. I want everybody to like me. (laughs) Um, So when I was a child growing up, my parents were not terribly interactive so my my father when he passed away um at no point has he ever said to my me or my sister that he loved us and my mum only did because when she finally became terminally ill she she came to live here in this house and we cared for her and that kind of came out and she started to reflect on her life so I think I was always craving some somebody to be approving of me and it comes from being a child where I didn't get the love and attention that I felt I needed for instance when I I did I did did two degrees and I did what I call an intercalated degree during my uh, dental career my dental degree you can do another degree in the middle i did a bsc in anatomy with basic medical science not one atom of which i've used since to this well <laughs> but i got a first in this and i was home all excited i went home to visit my parents all excited to tell them my mum said and i quote that's nice dear would you like chicken or pork for dinner
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that that shows the level of support that i got through this mm-hmm. So, when I hit things like in dentistry, when I became uh, the girly SWAT and tutors or lecturers or teachers approved of me, that made me want to do more. And when I came to business, um, the fact that I had mentors or coaches or guides that I I looked up to and I wanted to achieve more, that kind of keeps me going. So, it almost comes from the wrong place. It comes from a place of, Needing to be approved of, needing to prove myself, needing to be validated, and to constantly be, you know, doing better, striving for more. I'm always accused in my family, and I think you're probably the same because I know we have the same fitness goals of being, you know, ultra competitive and always moving the goalposts. So, you know, I'm into cycling. I get on my Zwift bike, you know, and I do this and the. the because I'm of a certain age, my age category encompasses everything, probably from, I think, is 50 to, you know, 100. And I'm in this category, and I'm still trying to compete against 30-year-olds because I I constantly move the goalposts all the time. And it's just to get that validation, I think. So it comes from the wrong place, really. I think the truth is... I can't give you an answer to say that, you yeah, I woke up one morning, I became a massive entrepreneur. I just wanted to be better all the time and to be approved of all the time. And also just in my property business, I'm a bit of a soft touch really. I like my phrases, warm, safe, comfortable homes for people to live in. So I get a huge buzz out of providing great quality accommodation for tenants. And tenants approving of me as a landlord, which I know maybe doesn't make on the face of it great business sense, but actually has meant that I have very long-term tenants. My average length of tenancy is in excess of five years. I've had people who, you know, 17 years in some of my properties. So... That works for me. Um, constantly trying to do the right thing, to be approved of, to achieve more so that other people will think well of me, I think is what's driven me. And I know that's not how a lot
1: of businesses are run. Not mm. not of come from that place. Yeah, yeah. That, 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 that really is <laughs> That, that really does resonate, resonate, actually. Because, um, you know, for me, I mean, I come from a very working class family as well. And as you know, you know, I was the youngest of three daughters. And whilst for me, I had a lot of encouragement and support from my mum and dad, and we, you know, were always told how much I was loved. But even with that... I'm still always kind of looking for the approval and good girl, good girl. You know, maybe it partly comes from the position in the family as well of being the baby, you know, competing against two older sisters. So I can really understand a lot of what you say and and possibly that that working class, you know, work ethic that I think is kind of embedded into us no one gives you anything for free in this life you know you have to go out and make your own opportunities and I think there's sort of that combination and and probably maybe some of that is is also you know what's driven you on as well um as opposed to the lovely Steve who as you said is quite posh and you know middle class
0: I think it comes from scarcity as well. I don't know if you find the same. So we we were not allowed things as children because there wasn't the money. So I'm constantly um, trying to accumulate a safety net of income or wealth that is going to keep me safe from any economic shocks if you like so I'm, con- I'm constantly trying to make sure that I've got enough money and when there's enough money you keep moving the goalposts with that as well don't you so yeah I think it comes from having scarcity in your life not abundance in your life.
1: Yeah. And you made a really good point actually as well, Anne, about sort of mentors and, and people that are going to be there to kind of lift you up or, or maybe show you an alternative. Because sometimes I think, you know, when you're in a role or, or a particular job, you only know what you know, don't you? And, and actually it's not until you spend time with other people that you go, oh, right. Okay. Hmm. I didn't realize about that. And I think, you know, so maybe it might be quite interesting for people to hear around how important has sort of mentors and having the right people around you be in 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 sort of helping you make those choices i think it's been key um key to me is that it's
0: massively shortened the time frame in which you can become successful Mm -hmm. so i did property you know my you know back of a fag packet you know buy a little house rent it out in 25 years time somebody will have bought you a property kind of mantra and what i somebody literally got two degrees and spent years studying to go out and just spend thousands on properties with that kind of information to me it was just now i look back why why would you do that and then property mistakes can cost so many thousands of pounds so i've made so many mistakes in property so many just it would take you know 12 hours of podcast to even scratch the surface of them but the the bottom line is Once I had mentorship and guidance, it 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 cut out all the mistakes because you can just go to your mentor and say, This is a scenario, what shall I do? And your mentor can just, you know, distill that down. But they also, they've been there, they've done it, they give you the path of least resistance. So when I was part of a mentorship programme originally, it was a revelation to me because I sit in front of my mentor, who actually was about twenty eight and gorgeous, which did help, so I really wanted to be the girly spot there. of him and I'd say I've got this this and this challenge and he would just look at me and say well Anne I want you to go away this month and I want you to do this 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 and come back now because I've got the girly swap mentality because I always always work I always want to please I would go away and do that 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 come back and guess what it worked so mentorship only works if you do what the mentor tells you so, some of my frustrations around mentoring people are that you can tell people to your blue in the face, mm-hmm. but they have to take the action. There's no point in anybody listening if you're going to, to take on mentorship or accountability with anybody if you're not actually going to do the action step. So, I think the decision to become a willing student and to put your faith and trust and not try and reinvent the wheel or even worse, argue the toss. Mm-hmm. So, some people. They don't want to learn from the mentor, they want to do what they want and the mentor to, mentor to validate what they want. So if the mentor doesn't mal- validate what they want and they just disregard what the mentor says, you pay somebody good money to do what they tell you. And I think it's like painted by numbers. So for me, it was it, the transition was immense and huge. Once I started knowing exactly what to do and how not to make the mistakes, And I'm a bit of a grafter anyway, but life does get in the way. It's easy to let things slide. But because I had the mentality that I was no way going to sit in front of my mentor the next month, not having completed all my action steps, even if they were done in the last week of another month, that really fast-tracked me. So I think it's, it's the accountability, it's the knowledge, it's the support. And somebody outside your own sphere who is interested in you, but not got a vested interest in you. I think that's the important point. Because your friends, your family, maybe your business partners, they all have a certain, they have their own agenda and they see you as related to their own agenda. So my partner, for instance, and you're really lucky in Chris, because I know Chris is fully supportive. Yeah. <laughs> fully supportive of yeah. you. And you couldn't reach a more supportive partner than Chris, because he's been dragged kicking his straining by you and me into this. <laughs> But Steve wants to protect me. He sees that property, although it's simple, is not always easy. I've been crying to him more times than I could imagine or care to share before I became properly guided. So I can see that he wants to protect me. He likes a quiet life. His wife running off, buying properties, doing trainings, you know, Doing, you know, going to other parts of the world to be trained, to do training, all this stuff negatively impacts he perceives on our relationship. So he's going to be more protective of it and he's going to have a different view on things. Whereas your mentor just sees a helicopter view of you and your life. They, they might come to like you, but it, they're not, that's not their job to like you. If they like you, it's a bonus, but they're not coming from that kind of place of having a, an agenda, their agenda on your life they're just there to give you the straight answer and we know this is true when I'm training or mentoring people sometimes people say to me well Anne, that's very incisive and you've cut straight to it why didn't I see that and I will act on that whereas sometimes when I've got an issue I can think it through as if I was a mentor and know what I should do but I'm almost incapable of doing it I don't you find this sometimes it needs somebody else To tell you what to do, even when you know yourself what to do. So even that can be a benefit of mentoring. I mean, you're nodding there. Yeah,
1: I I totally agree. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because even if you have a really supportive partner and I I mean, you know, you're, you're incredibly lucky with, with, with Steve and I'm, although you might have your difference of opinion, you know, and I'm really lucky with Chris because nine times out of 10, he's kind of there encouraging me to, you know, push on. Um, But it's interesting because even sometimes Chris might, say exactly the same thing, maybe slightly in different words, as as my mentor, my coach might do, but I won't take action on what Chris has told me. Not because I'm being stubborn necessarily, but as you say, he's just too close. And sometimes it's that impartiality, isn't it? Um, you know that that really kind of resonates, or some some reason it just sticks in your mind, and you will take action then. I mean, I find that a lot with the mentees that I um, mentor. That you know, it's that right combination between kind of encouragement, support. Or a bit of love when you need it and a cuddle but equally it's someone that's going to call you out and give you that kind of kick up the backside <laughs> you know because oh, bullshit on that you <laughs> know honestly it it really it really works and yeah i mean obviously you're a massive you're you're a great mentor yourself and you you've been on the receiving end of of being a mentee um and that's clearly had a massive impact on your business do you do you think you had that in your earlier career i'm thinking kind of pre-property or has it been sort of since the world of property that that's that's been well no that's not true when i was doing
0: my intercalated degree i had um what they call clinical supervisors. I was working with them on sort of research projects. They were very much working one-to-one with me. And I kind of, then I was years in the wilderness. So I qualified in 1985 as a dentist. And then it wasn't until 2014 that I had any further mentorship support. So that's a very long time, isn't it? In the kind of not having that. Mm. It's interesting because... I used to say to people, I've told this story before, so forgive me if anybody's heard it, but I've just remembered it now. For years, if anybody said to me, when are the best years of your life or when were the best years of your life, I'd say categorically the best years of my life were at dental school because I went from... Um, a really failing effectively comprehensive school in South London that they've now pulled down where I was massively bullied and I was dragged around the school with my hair while they were choking me and kicking me and I thought I was going to die. It was horrible. Mm. So I was very badly bullied at school and I hated most aspects of my school life at that comprehensive. But when I eventually got into dental school, where everybody was trying to do the same thing to become a dentist. I describe it as a peer group of like-minded, supportive people all working together towards a common goal. And I flourished, and I really loved it. And I would say to anybody, best years of my life at dental school. And then I have a kind of good years of my life where I'm kind of getting married, I've got kids, I'm building a, a dental business, I'm doing okay in that. But it was a little bit sterile in terms of support a network of like-minded people but when I got into the property world properly by joining the progressive property community again suddenly it was another peer group of like-minded supportive people I wasn't a freak see up until then when I was talking to other people about property other doctors and dentists or friends or you know friends of mine who got you know the kids were at school together or people in dentistry they were just like this is all yeah we don't get it so I felt very much alienated and out on my own. So when I came into that new world, it was like I'd come home. So I think it's, it's important to seek out your tribe and to seek out mentors or other peer group of people who want to do what you want to do, or that you're literally pushing a peanut up a mountain and you are struggling. You're like held back in a quagma of trying to progress. You need your tribe to get you and get where you're going. Yeah. And I've been there before, I think.
1: Yeah. And, and, and for you, Anne, you know, when you were sort of making that, you, you were going into property, but you still had the dentist practice and you were still very successful in your, I suppose, your first choice of career, if you like. At what point did you make that tipping, or where did that tipping point come where you sort of said, right, okay, I am actually going to, you know, stop the dentist side of things and be full-time in property? And kind of how did, how did that come about, that sort of almost step change out of one world into the other world? In a full full capacity, I'd love to be able to tell you that it was me. It wasn't me.
0: So what I was very much sometimes when I talk of progressive property, I talk about my journey. What happened was I was a dentist and a hobby investor from two thousand and one until two thousand and fourteen when I rocked up to progressive property in Peterborough. I was very much a dentist and a hobby investor. So what I did was I then I saved up deposits from our nice six-figure salaries, and I collected houses slowly and organically, plus as the houses went up in value, which they did, Mm. I took money out and I used that as seed capital for more houses, but it was really slow. And I very much viewed it as something I did, as my old mum would say, for pin money, as a hobby, something I did on the side. I didn't see it as a business business. I saw it as a pension for us for the future, maybe a legacy for the kids. It was generating money, but we were generating more money from six-figure salaries as doctors and dentists. And I didn't think, I just didn't think of it like that. My mindset was all wrong. I sat in a room at Progressive Property, at a property event, and people stood on the stage and said, look, you can, you can make a yeah, fortune from property, and this is how you do it on the buyer, refurbish finance, which is not what I was doing. And I thought, yeah, you're missing a trick here. You need to, your property hobby needs to become a proper property business. So within 16 months of attending that event, I'd kind of rejigged everything, started taking it seriously, working at it. And we were able to quit our our jobs 16 months after that event. So it was literally going to another event where somebody, as you say, something was presented to me in a different way. Just somebody said something, just did that, switched that, switch in me. And, of course, I was helped and guided with this because I joined their mentoring program. And my mentor was forcing me every month to take actions towards getting me out of our job. Steve sat in the bed soon after i come to Progressive. And this is really was the catalyst. It probably wasn't me. And he said, I love medicine. There's just too much of it. And he said... You know, I'm in my sort of early fifties at the time. He said, "I'm not sure I can do this for the next, you know, fifteen years or so." And I said, "Well, no." And no, I think, you know, we've got a good basis. We've got some properties. I've been to Progressive. You know, I'm on their mentoring program. I'm going to go to them. I'm going to say, "Let's get you out of your job." So I went and sat in front of my mentor, and he, on the first visit, and he said to me, "What's your game? What's your goal?" And I've never done any goal setting or anything, but I'd had this conversation with Steve. I said, "Well, my goal is," and it just came to me there and then. I'm going to get my husband out of his job. And he said, look to me straight in the eye and said, well, that's absolutely doable. Let's plan it. And that was a complete revelation to me. Just somebody else rubber stamping, validating, saying there's a way to do it. So I didn't
1: think of it, it just happened. And I think that's that's a really good point, Anne, isn't it, in terms of having a plan and knowing where you want to head to. And I think, you know, certainly for me, when I was in my earlier career, you, you know, you're kind of doing well, you're getting promoted and and opportunities come to you. You don't necessarily take direct control in such a strong way. And, and I, you know, similarly, I think when you reach a certain age, you're more comfortable in your own skin. You're kind of more self-aware of where some of you know your reactions to things come from whether it's your childhood or whatever and i think you you're much more capable of saying well actually, what do I want from life? What is my purpose? Why am I here? What's important to me? And and I think if you can answer some of those questions, like you obviously did at that particular point, almost the rest starts to fall into place because you know where you're heading. You kind of work backwards from there with with a plan, as you say. And and I think a lot of people maybe don't always give themselves that time or that headspace to really think about what's important to them. You know, And I certainly, I think I would have benefited from that probably earlier in my career as well you know because you're on the you're on the wheel aren't you you're on the <laughs> treadmill <laughs> sometimes um i say you, we had young kids we were
0: both really busy you know i was getting up in the morning getting the kids to school going to the practice working coming home sorting out of the shopping you know doing the cooking doing the cleaning steve's working all the hours god sends the gp there was no time or breathing space in my life to wake up one morning and think what do i want to do with my life <laughs> you don't question yourself you're just stuck in the living of it so you're you're so right. It's like um, Stephen Covey's book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Where he talks about the quadrants. You know, one, two, three, four. And quadrant two, for those of you who don't know, is a great book. Is about the important but non-urgent tasks, and these are the ones that always get squeezed. Mm-hmm. So I teach, teach people when I'm doing the chains on, it's always to carve out some time and adapt, some time in the week, even if it's only half an hour a week or you know, ten minutes a day, to focus solely on what I call blue sky thinking. You know, who am I, where am I, where is my business going? Because that's what just gets squeezed out. We're so busy putting out fires. We're so busy working to other people's agenda. We're not taking the time to think, you know, where where is my life going? Where do I truly need to be? And how am I going to get there? So carving a yeah. little bit of time. And then... As you know, as the business gets bigger, when you start to outsource and delegate more, even more time needs to go into that. That needs to become sacrosanct time, which you book out on your Google calendar or your iCal, and that's what you do there and then. I've got friends who actually um, have you know, days at spas with their business partners or their life partners, taking themselves outside their environment. We can't do it now, obviously, because of COVID, but taking themselves out of their environment and spending time with each other, just strategizing. I know you and Chris walk or train together, you know, Steve and I cycle together. So there's there is time to do that. I think it should be almost dedicated
1: time. So you understand this is the time that you're going to talk. Mm-hmm. yeah I 100% agree with you I couldn't agree more and you you touched on the um the exercise and and the cycling and obviously I know how into your cycling you are and you you've been encouraging me to get on my bike which I've been doing more recently how important is that to you in your kind of life and and what impact does the exercise uh, have for you in terms of mindset and just kind of general well-being really for me it's Absolutely crucial. I have a tendency to get in a bit
0: of a, a black state of mind if I don't exercise. And Steve would say it's a bit of an obsession. So I try not to do extreme exercise seven days a week. I try to have a day or so off. But I, I really like to exercise. It's my... What's the word? It's a kind of sticking plaster. You get endorphins with exercise, and I think they're very important that good hormones that go around you counteract any negative thoughts or hormones that you might have. Cycling, for instance, is there can be a lot of effort. And if I race on Swift, there's a lot of effort. You know, you're not thinking about anything but racing. But if you're out cycling in the beautiful countryside, and there's a rhythm to it, allows you to kind of think or switch into a kind of meditative state. So I like yoga as well for the same thing, but I think. Exercise is really important for your mental and physical health, and the two are very much for me interlinked. So, I think I mean, it's countless studies have shown I mean, I'm not depressed, but countless studies have shown that you know, exercise can be as effective in treating anxiety and depression as medication. We should all carve out time for it. You're going to feel better about yourself if you look better, if you've got more energy. So, no, the more you exercise, paradoxically, the more, exercise, the more energy you tend to have. I think it would make you tired, but in reality, it tends to really fire you up.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm so on your page uh, and I find I get some of my best ideas you know if I'm running and it, and it's kind of time for you isn't it you know you like you you, you mentioned earlier you, you're trying to juggle family childcare job career business and, and a lot of that is is often geared up to supporting other people um, in your life whereas actually when you're exercising it's just something that's purely for you <laughs> and, and that time whether it's even 20 minutes minutes or half an hour or however long I just think it really helps kind of clear the cobwebs and and yeah I say I get loads of my best ideas or if I've got a problem I'm grappling with yeah I, I often I can resolve that whereas I, if I didn't that probably problem would still probably could be hanging around for a lot longer um, than, you know, so I'm I'm with you. I think exercise is so key. And again, people don't always make time for it. It can often be the first thing that goes when you're busy and it's probably the worst thing that you could do, isn't it? To to kind of get rid of those uh, exercise slots in your diary. Thought process. It's a little bit self-indulgent, particularly,
0: I don't like to use the male, female, but particularly amongst women, they knew that, you know, carving time out for themselves to exercise is, self-indulgent they should be doing something else with it but I think you if you are calm which exercise makes you calm if you're in a better mental state you're going to be a better person and you're going to be able to give more of yourself to those that might need your support so I think it's it's, you need to it's like the old trite analogy of the oxygen mask coming down in the plane got to put your own oxygen mask on first I think having yourself in the best physical and mental state to deal with all life's challenges is important, particularly, you know, as entrepreneurs, you've got, there's a lot that's going to be thrown at us. So I think exercise is a vital, a vital part of that. So I think the things that tend to get squeezed are the most important, the blue sky thinking, the stuff in that kind of urgent but non-important box and the exercise, for me, they're two top tips, Jeanette. And I think I don't, there are very few entrepreneurs that I know who don't place huge store by exercise. Would you agree?
1: 100%.
0: there are a few but they are very much in the minority
1: yeah i think that and self-development just kind of a continual desire to learn and to sort of stretch your mind i think that's also a common trait of entrepreneurs or, or sort of very successful business people you know normally very you know voracious readers or listen to podcasts a lot and i think that's the other aspect isn't it which you tend to find those people that have got a natural curiosity to always want to be a better a version of themselves um, and you know I think for you as well like, you know the self-development I guess that's been a key part of, of your journey as well Anne exactly. and you can combine the two with exercise of course if it's safe to do so I've got a big
0: thing about don't cycle with your earphones in because <laughs> it's not safe but you could certainly exercise on a treadmill or on a Zwift machine or perhaps run in a, a park where you're not going to get run over and listening to stuff on Audible or listening to podcasts so listen to books on Audible or I can listen on two times speed. Now, for those of you who aren't listening on two times speed, the secret I discovered this is to start on three times speed. You listen to three times speed for about half an hour, it's complete rubbish. And then when you turn it down to two times speed, it sounds like they're going really slowly. Your brain can process it. But I listen to loads of stuff on two times speed. I listen to podcasts when I'm if I'm gardening or if I'm, you know, doing other stuff like that. So yeah, exercise and podcasting. Yeah. And I didn't know who I was. I, don't, I still don't really know who I am, but I certainly had no clue who I was until I came to Progressive at the age of 54. I'd done no self-development. I'd done no uh, mindset. I think self-development mindset is very much a work in progress. Nobody's a finished article. We're all constantly reinventing ourselves. Um, there's a great phrase, isn't it? You don't have a shower once and think you're clean forever. <laughs> <laughs> I've <never> heard that. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't claim that I invented it. I heard it, so I can't remember who's in it, but I, I latched onto it immediately. You don't have a shower once and think that's me clean. Yeah, you know, I have been cleansed. <laughs> You've got to keep that- <laughs> personal development you can't when I first did some stuff on mindset you know I read some stuff from Tony Robbins and all the rest of it and Jim Rohn and yeah all this good stuff I thought oh yes and the other one is things like books like the subtle art of not giving a fuck you know and all these other stuff that you read I read them I think that's me fixed cured and a week later I'm still not fixed and I'm still not cured so I think personal development is an ongoing thing it's like constantly keeping yourself fit or clean or whatever so I don't wish to think we're the finished article. I would hate to think that the person I am now is going to be the same person I am in five years or ten years or I want to always become a bigger, better version of myself, slightly more wrinkly. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, don't start talking about gray hair and uh, yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> but when do you ever, or how do you, this is a good question for you, Anne, because you're obviously always hungry for more, right? Which I think is, is what's been a really key driver of your success as well. You know, wanting to kind of be bold and make an impact, you know, sort of kind of always, always want to be able to do more. When you've got that kind of personality like that to strive and to prove and to do better how do you find you celebrate successes along the way because it's important I think as well to sort of recognize when we're doing well rather than always pushing on for the next thing I'm guilty of this always pushing on for the next thing and never stopping and going actually we've done all right there you know so just kind of interested in your perspective of that I don't
0: So one of my friends posted on Facebook the other day, she's just got the keys. She's been in poverty about three years and she just got the keys to another house. She said, Oh, I'm not going to celebrate because I've got to do the refurb. And I don't know what the revalue will be at the end of it. And I'm going, for goodness sake, girl, three years ago, I would have been seeing pictures of the keys and the smiling selfie. you know, celebrate. <laughs> and then she posted back, well, you know, I'm on you know, the, I think, you know, so, but the point is, I think, we're all trained to celebrate, and I actually gave her the advice. What are you doing? Celebrate, girl! You know, let's, let's sing from the rooftops. This is great. You know, if somebody told you three years ago you'd have you know done X number of properties and you'd have this much passive income, you would have you would not believe them, and you would be eternally grateful. But you've moved the goalposts, and I I should be able to give you an answer to say, well, look, every time I you know every time I do a property, I buy myself a new bike. I've got a lot of bikes, as you know too. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> houses. <laughs> so I have got, there comes a point at which I just think uh, I'm not practicing what I preach. So I don't think I do celebrate. Actually, it's an interesting point because for those listening in the podcast, maybe you can put in the comments to Jeanette. I'm not sure that really successful people do celebrate. I think they say they should, but I think they're constantly like, oh, yeah, I've done that. And they're on to the next thing. We should because it will be good for our souls and it will be good to look back and see how far we've come. What I do do, which maybe is relevant, is have my goals written down because I was encouraged to do that when I first came to Progressive. The goals written down then you can look back and see what you've actually achieved. And when you read back what you've actually done, you think, right, actually I have come a long way. And that gives you a kind of warm, fuzzy glow. But I don't then go out and have a huge... I know you, you did great the other day you actually on um, a shopping spree didn't you online shopping spree so you had celebrated so maybe you're you're the person to answer this because you're doing it much better than I am
1: well I don't, I, yeah I think it's um it's a bit of a curse of the entrepreneur isn't it or, or a curse of the 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 striving person to be a better version of themselves that you know that that it, to every positive is a bit of a negative because that's just just the way it is isn't it the uh the laws of uh kind of balance in the world but I think from right for, my, for me, I've probably learned a bit over the years because certainly in my younger career, you know, I mean, I would be doing business in China or India, and I was so focused on the business that sometimes I didn't really enjoy as much as I could have done being in the moment and being in those countries. You know, I haven't got a reason to go to China to do business now, you know, so that was that particular point of my career. And did I make the most of it? Well, I made the most of it from a business point of view, but did I actually spend the time? I'm, you know, actually in the country, as uh, you know, and sort of immersed in it, could I have added on a couple of days to go and do some more stuff for myself? Absolutely, you know. So Chris has always been saying to me over the years, you know, enjoy the ride. It's not all about the destination. <laughs> so I, I, I'm still pretty rubbish at it. I must admit, I'm always like, what next? What next? But um, yeah, I think it just comes. We coach come each other to celebrate far more <laughs> practice We should, and we can spend some money. There's no, no issue about retail therapy or buying bikes or handbags or houses. That's, that's another one that's one of these phrases
0: that I use because it came out of his mouth and I've never forgiven it for him for it when I went on a bit of a sp- spending spree one year bought quite a lot of properties in one year Steve was getting very exasperated by the you know the, the, the pieces of paper that he was having to sign to buy these houses his transfers and he said to me most women buy handbags you buy houses and he didn't mean it as a compliment
1: you know <laughs> the lovely Steve hey but he's given you some great material to share with people hasn't he you know <laughs> fantastic And, and and just in terms of sort of being a being a woman in business you know and and sort of in the world of property in particular how do how do you find that do you you know there's a lot of talk about diversity and inclusion you know which has always been the case actually but i think it's particularly hot topic um in more recent years but from your perspective how do you find it as a woman in business as a female entrepreneur in that world within most property um circles I find it has no
0: negative impact whatsoever. Mm. And I think it can work as a positive. With certain estate agents being a female works well. You can get potentially more deals through certain estate agents um as a female. I found that to be the case, I think, over about other people. But in terms of trades, it's been more of a challenge. So that's the truth. So I've kissed a lot of frogs. Um a lot of tradespeople will think that because you're some bit of a blonde bit, a silly woman, they will tend not to take you as seriously, mm. and that's a cultural thing, I think. Um, but once you've got a great power team, I don't think that. And once you know, let them know that you're kicking ass and you're not going to take any you know, prisoners, then that's been fine. So I think, on, by and large, I think it's an easier industry to be a woman in than some others. Uh, have been so certain so corporate roles can be more challenging when the past have been. I think now we've got quotas to fill, they've got a certain number of women that need to be. Their uh, companies have, this issued edicts, something that mm. they've got a certain number of um, different demographics for each group. They've got all the quotas for each group, and women are one of those quotas that needs to be filled. But yeah, I've never really viewed myself as male or female not male, but you know, I don't view myself as a gender. I view myself as a person and maybe that's stood me in good stead. Yeah. I I haven't really bought into the feminism or otherwise. I've just been me and made it work for me. So I think think in property there's a lot of women and there's certainly no glass ceiling in property. There's nothing that says you can't be, you know, effectively the chief executive officer of your property company. There's nothing to stop you. Mm -hmm. If you, you can embrace it all, there's there's nowhere. Nowhere more easy, I think, to build a great business than property.
1: Yeah, and I think you're right. I think it's very inclusive. At the property investment aspect, like you say, when you're dealing with the trades, it's possibly a bit different. But, you know, I come from the corporate world, as you know, in, in terms of earlier career, and I was nearly always the only woman in the boardroom with a P&L, um, yeah. you know. and, and But I, like you, I've always sort of thought, well, you know, if you walk into a room thinking there's going to be a problem, there probably will be. But if you just do the best you can... Be, do what you say you're going to do, deliver the results and, you know, be as authentic and true to yourself, then, you know, actually you, you'll probably do quite well. Um, yeah. But I think the world of property is incredibly supportive. It's such a great network. People genuinely seem to want to help each other. Um, whereas in the corporate world, you know, they might kind of sell their grandmother to, you know, <laughs> to get promoted above you. Um, that doesn't really exist exist in of what I've seen so far anyway. So it's quite refreshing. I think there's, there aren't those barriers um, really that exist elsewhere. So it's just good, isn't it? Well, there really aren't any barriers to entry in property. That's the thing that I love and
0: hate most about it. So I'm um, sometimes a little jealous of people. I train people, you know, they're fresh out of school almost. <laughs> And they can go on because there's no, there's no age, there's no gender, there's no ethnicity, there's no religious, even no disability really, barriers to somebody getting going in property. They, it's open to everybody. As long as they take consistent action, so it's all about the action-taking. You don't have to have, you know... Um, A levels degrees, you know, to have a master's in business administration. You don't need any of that stuff. You just need to be somebody who's great with people and is, um, prepared to take action. That's all the qualities that anybody needs to be successful in property. It's literally open to everybody. But I see doctors and dentists, particularly that's my niche because I understand it really well. You know, who've grown, and it's the same in any corporate career, but I don't understand those careers, so I can't speak from the heart about those. They have worked and worked and worked and worked and they are working, you know, 60, 80 hours a week. They might be getting decent money, but it's years of graft where somebody can literally be in property. 2 3 years and have a, a level of income commensurate with somebody that's grafted for 30 years to get to the same point so it's not a get rich quick scheme but it's get pretty wealthy pretty quickly if you take action so for me that's 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 great everybody should do it but sometimes i think oh yeah but what about everybody that's you know spent 30 40 years trying to achieve something is still not financially free because that's so distressing isn't it you can graft all your life and what have you got to show for it
1: yeah absolutely.
0: you could be one injury away from losing that job and not being able to do it or you could be in a position where suddenly your services are no longer required and then it's all been for nothing. Property doesn't just vaporize if you break your leg or get made redundant. It's still there giving you passive income. That's what mm. I love about it so much.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're, you're a massive advocate and you certainly helped, as you say, thousands of people to, to realize their dreams in property and giving them the confidence and the tools, the practical knowledge to actually get going, which is that you must find that incredibly satisfying to know you've made it. such an impact. I love it nothing pleases me more than people you know saying i've played some small role
0: in helping to change their life for the better you know on a sort of personal level as well you know when the kids were little we were really grafting hard so we didn't see as much of them as we wanted to do i've trained people who've got you know babies or young children that can literally spend time watching them grow up one of my one of my Kids, my eldest, my daughter went to a childminder because I didn't want to go into a nursery environment at that time. I thought it was better to be with one person. I was wrong, but she went to the childminder, and then when I went to pick her up one day, she was about eleven months old. The childminder handed me Sam, my daughter, and said, "Oh, she's been walking today." And I was really cut up and distressed by it. So anybody listening to this a child-minded, please don't say to the parent, the child's been walking if it's the first time. Because what she could have done is said nothing. It was a Friday. I'm willing to bet over the point of that weekend, at some point, Sam would have got up on her own and toddled across the floor to her mummy or daddy, and it would have been a joyful event. But we were robbed of that because we weren't there for our children. So you can't get that time back. So I've got you know, great income property now. Hopefully when I'm blessed with grandchildren, I'll be able to spend time with them. But I have literally wasted years that I could have had had I known what I know now and implemented it sooner. So Mark Homer, co-founder of Progressive Property, has got a great saying which I'm always parroting out. Don't wait to buy a property. Buy a property and wait. You know, really now is the time to get going. The time to start to build a, an amazing life for yourself and a legacy moving forward. So I love it.
1: I just love your enthusiasm, man. I mean, geez, if anyone had any doubts before, hopefully listening to this, they'll they'll all they'll be hunting you down to to learn all of your uh, your great advice and tips. So, uh, no, absolutely brilliant. So, what's next for Anne Holton then? Or oh, more of the same, really.
0: Keep buying properties. Um... I think there's potentially a good time coming up. Now we're speaking now, aren't we? Just maybe thinking about coming out of lockdown. I think it's really unfortunate that when furlough ends, there's a potential for um, a lot of people to be made redundant. There's a potential for properties to be coming onto the market because people are unable to make mortgage payments. So I think what we can do with those properties is secure those properties, um, refurbish them to a great standard, and then let them out to people. So we'll provide homes for people. So there's opportunities there. And I want to continue to train and help other people to do what we've done and to do what I've done in a much shorter time frame so i'm on a I'm on a mission now to uh, get people into what I think is a wonderful world of property investing so that they, even if they don't want to quit their job, they will have something that is there for them if they can't work or for any reason you know something happens that um, they don't want to work. They wake up one morning and think, actually, like Steve said, I love medicine, there's just too much of it. If you wake up one morning, you think, actually, I can't face it. It's building that safety net moving forward. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, it's training, helping other people to do what I've done and to continue to do what I'm doing. It's because why wouldn't you? It's providing a great service for other people. It's a, We need good quality rental accommodation in the UK. We're not building any more houses. We're not building any more land. There's a massive demand. So, yeah. Yeah helping other people is how you feel better about yourself brings more joy to your life. And also as a side interest for anybody who's into that, you make more money. So the more people you can help, the more money you will make, the better quality of life you will have. And um, that feeling of doing good, you can't describe how great that is
1: yeah and the freedom and flexibility that you've created for yourself in in your life as well because right now you know you you've got it seems like you've got a great balance and in terms of personal time and and work well business time we a really good balance so we
0: steve and i usually travel it's blocked out one month in three so we will be somewhere in the world other than the England one month in three or somewhere else remote from our house in England and Wales or Scotland or Ireland one month in three. So that's what we do. That time is uh, usually sacrosanct. It's blocked out. So we do that. Um, the property portfolio runs itself really well. I've got systems, I've got apps, I've got leverage, I've got people that help me with it. So it probably takes around, depending on whether I'm acquiring properties or not, between two to four hours a week to run that business. Um, So, yeah, I've got a systemized out. I love the training and the mentoring, so I spend a lot of time doing that, which I don't need to do because my property portfolio gives me enough income. People often say, don't they, if you're so wealthy at property, (laughs) why would you want to train, you know, if you're making that money, I don't need to uh, train and mentor, but I enjoy it, and it makes me feel better about myself. So for selfish reasons, because people like Jeanette would be kind enough to say, oh, you've helped Chris and I get onto our Mm -hmm. journey and thank you for that. That just makes me feel better because I've got this big need to be liked and approved of. So I feel, when I was a dentist, I used to change people's lives one person at a time, you know, do their great smile design or get them out of pain. Now for what I do now is I get to change lots of people's lives and significant changes to their lives because you could have all your teeth taken out and false teeth and it it wouldn't be the end of your life. But if you if you... You lose your job and you've got no income. And you could lose everything. That is, and you've got no backup. That could be a disaster. So the fact that I can help more people this way, you know, it makes me feel good. Yeah, so, brilliant. It's Just, actually, really.
1: <laughs> no, it's fantastic. Oh, it's fantastic. So, can we finish with a quick fire round, Anne? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, night in or night out? Night out. Okay. Cat or dog? Dog. Although I have cats, which is interesting,
0: <laughs> I've got two Burmese kittens, and the reason I've got two Burmese kittens is because um, they are very dog-like. So they'll come when they're called. They'll fetch a stick. You can train to use the, you know, go on the human toilet without a litter box. You know, they're they're very dog-like and they're very loving, they're very into people. But we travel too much. So we cannot one month in three be, be away mm. and have a, a dog, which is a member of your family. But that's a very long answer. But I'm a dog person, but I do have cats because I can leave them.
1: <laughs> you want it all. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Last one, UK or abroad? UK,
0: if I had to choose with a, you know, a knife to my throat, because I think we've got so much going for us in the UK. It's a beautiful country. I've traveled quite a lot in the world and we have the best uh, change in geography, changing person, changing town, changing city. We've got so much diversity in these tiny islands and that I, I would, if I had to live anywhere I think I'm, I'm also so blessed to be born a woman in the UK at the time that I was born or moving forward you know you could even be born somewhere else in the world you and I would not be having this conversation okay. There are many areas in the world where you cannot be a female entrepreneur. So I, I thank I thank my lucky stars pretty well every day that I was born,
1: you know, female in the UK. Oh, fantastic! Well, you are the epitome of brave, bold, and brilliant, Anne. And um, just in terms of how people can find you, where would you? Where, where can they track you down? They track me down on Facebook, uh, Anne Holton,
0: or I'm also on LinkedIn. Uh, I don't know how you search LinkedIn, but it, I'm Anne Holton still on LinkedIn. So basically those are the two places to find me. If you need to email me, you can email my letting agency info at acer-lettings.com. A-C-E-R so if you need to email me, you can email me there. But yeah, Facebook and probably, um, you know, Instagram, probably the places I'm most, most people most that, you can private message me there.
1: Oh, fantastic. And honestly, I can't thank you enough for being on the podcast. You've been truly wonderful and um yeah, so excited to see what's what's next in your journey as well as you continue to push forward. So thank you so much, Anne. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you, Jeanette. And everybody's just gonna be an amazing podcaster. Jeanette finds that more and more and more episodes. Jeanette is one of my stars. <laughs> I don't want to use the word pupils. Star co-workers, if you like. Her and Chris are going to do amazing things in property and the stuff she's achieved throughout her whole life. There's nothing she can't teach you. So please make sure that you keep tuning in to the Brave, Bold, Beautiful podcast.
1: Brilliant. Ah, oh, thank you so much. Anne. that is fantastic.